You are listening to the replay of Cowboy State Politics Live from October 6th. Thanks for listening. And there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live, and here we go. Congratulations! The United States national debt is now $31 trillion. Oh, this is cause for celebration, my friends. Now, our debt-to-GDP ratio is well above 126%. Uh, you know what that means? Uh, that means we're, we're kind of broke. You know, over-leveraged, over-extended. We can't pay the mortgage, nor do we ever have any intention of doing so. Ah, but it's okay. You know, we can just print as much money as we want, and no one's ever going to ask us to pay it back, right? Yeah, that's, that's not exactly true. And, you know, I mean, even though the administration wants to do this... No, 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 wait, wait, that's not right at all. No, no, we can't be celebrating when we owe more money than Croesus ever thought of. Oh, my friends, we are in a heck of a lot of trouble. When the debt, when your debt exceeds your income, you are effectively broke. Ask yourself, is there a credit card company in the world that's going to give you any credit when, you're, when you've borrowed more money than you can ever pay back? Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. But if you ask the Biden administration, well, you know, they've cut the budget. They've cut the deficit. They're cutting everything. I mean, why wouldn't you want them in office? I put together a little montage for you so that uh, you can understand the, the gravity of what it is that they're doing for us. This week, my administration released uh, new information that contains that we're on track to cut the federal deficit by another another $1.5 trillion by the end of this fiscal year. The biggest decline in a single year ever in American history. The biggest decline on top of us having a $350 billion drop in the deficit last year, my first year as president. By the end of this year, the deficit will be down to less than half of what it was before I took office. The only president ever to cut the deficit by more than $1 trillion in a single year. Let me remind you again, I reduced the federal deficit. All the talk about the deficit from my Republican friends, I love it. I reduced it $350 billion in my first year in office. And we're on track to reduce it by the end of September by another $1,500,000,000. The largest drop ever. President Biden claims tackling inflation is his top priority. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it is. Fed Reserve uh -huh. Jerome Powell. Him, we would have never gotten it passed oh, because he said, let's yeah. get what we can. And we got 300. Oh, they got what they could. All right. Uh -huh. $69 billion. We didn't get the 518. I was looking for. Thank God. Yeah. And by the way, when you hear your Republican friends or anybody else tell you, boy, they're spending a lot of money. You are. Guess uh -huh. what? We cut the budget. No, you didn't. $350 billion no. last year. No. We cut the deficit. I mean, the deficit. We cut the deficit this year. Oh, you don't know what you've cut. Trillion dollars this mm, year. One trillion. So we know how to grow and reduce the burden as well. Oh, one trillion dollars. Well, they know how to do. They know how to grow. All right. 
you know what? His, his whole talk about all this one trillion, one billion, whatever it is that he was saying, it kind of reminds me of something. It's come to my attention that a breakaway Russian Republic from Pakistan is about to transfer a nuclear warhead to the United Nations in a few days. Here's the plan. We get the warhead and we hold the world ransom for one million dollars. <throat> yeah, it's too bad they're already holding the world ransom. We're already holding the world ransom for $31 trillion. Does everybody understand how exactly we got to that, that amount? Well, you see, when the federal government wants to spend money that they don't have, they literally do just hit the whole print button and print the money. Of course, they don't actually print it on paper. It's all ones and zeros in a computer. But really what happens is that the Treasury issues bonds, and then the Federal Reserve buys the bonds, and then they print more money. You see, we don't even have any of that money. It's printed out of thin air. It's called monetizing the debt. That's the only way that we can finance all of the things that we're trying to do. Now, monetizing the debt is usually a really, really, really bad idea. Well, it has been in every case it's ever happened in world history. Probably the best, the most known example is the Weimar Republic in Germany after World War I. You see, the, at the Treaty of Versailles, Germany was saddled with the entire debt of World War I which of course that they couldn't pay, but we did it to them anyway. Now, the truth is they actually made the first payment, but it completely bankrupted them. So at that point, they had to just start printing money. And of course, you know, there was no other way that they could pay for anything or that people could make money. So they just kept printing and printing and printing and printing. And pretty soon the money became worthless. There's this great story of a guy that goes to he goes to the grocery store. Well, and actually, I should tell you that you would get paid three times a day. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, three paychecks in a day. Uh, the part that it's not so great, though, is the reason you got paid in the morning is your food would cost more by lunchtime. And so before you ever started work, you went and bought your food for lunch. And then, of course, you would get paid at lunchtime so you could go buy your food for dinner uh, because the prices were rising so rapidly. Well, anyway, this guy goes into the grocery store and he's got all of his groceries up there on the counter and he's got his wheelbarrow full of money. If you don't believe me, go to Google and type in um, Weimar Republic money or something like that. And you'll come up with all sorts of pictures of children playing with huge stacks of money uh, because it was absolutely worthless. But anyway, so this guy in the uh, grocery store, he's got all his groceries up there on the counter and his wheelbarrow full of money. And he turns around, he's distracted by something and he turns around and he gets robbed. But they didn't take his money. They took his food because his food was far more, far more valuable than any amount of money that he could ever possibly have. Now, Reason Magazine put together an analysis of exactly, well, we all know that, that Joe Biden is telling us the biggest tall tale in world history, but Reason Magazine did, an, did a pretty good um, analysis of where exactly he's getting that one and a half trillion dollars that he says he's cut the deficit. Here it is. So what is Biden talking about? He's taking credit for expiring emergency spending measures. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the federal government ran a $3.1 trillion deficit in fiscal year 2020, which fell to a $2.7 trillion deficit in 2021. Now that the pandemic spending is finally over, the deficit is expected to fall again to $1.4 trillion, according to the Congressional Budget Office, though we won't have a final figure until the fall. Once we eliminate other outlier years like 1943 when the U.S. was participating in a global war, this year's budget deficit will likely end up as one of the largest in American history as a percentage of GDP. So Biden doesn't really have anything to brag about. Let me remind you again, I reduced the federal deficit. No, you didn't. As expiring COVID spending made our fiscal situation look better on the surface, Biden was busy adding $2.4 trillion to the long-term deficit, according to the CBO's most recent estimates. There was Biden's American Rescue Plan, the bipartisan infrastructure package, and the $1.5 trillion federal budget that passed in March. If the president's multi-trillion dollar Build Back Better plan had somehow become law, as heritage analyst David Ditch has pointed out, we'd be in even worse shape. Before Biden took office, projected budget deficits through 2031 looked like this. 
And here's how they look a year and a half into his presidency. The federal government's budget is on the road to hell, warned former Congressional Budget Office Director Douglas Holtz Eakin back in 2011. That was before Obama, Trump, and now Joe Biden each went on a spending binge that has made our fiscal future even less stable. Biden wants you to focus on just a small part of the overall picture. The deficit for the past two years and this year are a misleading indicator of America's overall fiscal health. And to claim that he's responsible for reducing the deficit is worse than misleading. It's an outright lie. Well, we shouldn't expect anything more from Joe Biden than a big pack of lies. Now, I told you about Weimar Germany, but perhaps the most, well, well, the most unknown example of hyperinflation and monetizing your debt occurred in 2008 in Zimbabwe. And if you want if you want something that'll blow your mind, go to Google and type in Zimbabwe 100 trillion dollar bill. So in 2008, well, actually a little like a year before 2008, the Zimbabwe dollar was exactly equal to the United States dollar. So that tells you how big of a rocking economy they actually had. Now, of course, you know, the, the Zimbabwe economy was a fraction of the size of the American economy. But when their currency is equal to the U.S. dollar things are rocking pretty well. Well, they had an election and because they were making so much money, they started offering all sorts of benefits to their citizens. You know, things like welfare and unemployment and all of that. And in the span of two years, their entire economy collapsed due to hyperinflation. And if you look up that bill on Google that I told you about, that's what what ended up happening. Now, Another interesting thing that you should probably look up is what the Zimbabwe currency is worth now as compared to the United States dollar. It's a tiny, tiny fraction. This is what happens every single time a a country monetizes their debt. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. The Treasury is printing bonds. The Federal Reserve is buying those bonds, and then the Treasury is printing money based on the profits that they supposedly made from those bonds. It's a giant shell game, and it's one that's going to destroy this country like it's already doing. So, bunch of stuff to look forward to. Moving on, from the Associated Press, it appears the cake maker in Colorado is having some trouble again. This article was published yesterday, and I quote, a lawyer for Jack Phillips on Wednesday urged Colorado's appeals court, largely on procedural grounds, to overturn last year's ruling in a lawsuit brought by a transgender woman. The woman, Autumn Scardina, called Phillips' suburban Denver cake shop in 2017 and requesting a birthday cake. Everybody knows this story. You know, the cake maker just said that he wasn't going to bake the cake because it went against his religious religious beliefs. So Jack Warner, the attorney representing Phillips from the conservative Christian legal advocacy group Alliance Defending Freedom, said the ruling was wrong. He said requiring Phillips to create a cake with a message contrary to his religious beliefs amounts to forcing him to say something that he doesn't believe, violating his right to free speech. Well, they're at it again. The case involves a Denver area designer, Lori Smith, who wants to offer wedding website services, but says her Christian beliefs would lead her to decline any request from a same-sex couple to design a wedding website. It's the same situation that the, that the cake baker was going through. She also wants to post a statement on her website about her beliefs, but says Colorado's law violates her free speech and religious rights. In agreeing to take the case, the Supreme Court said it would only examine the free speech issue. Smith is also defended by Alliance Defending Freedom, Phillips's lawyer successfully, and on and on and on. But you get the idea. But it's a continual assault on the First Amendment in every way, shape, or form. See, the left, they have to suppress speech. That's the only way that they can get their agenda pushed through. And they specifically go after religious people because we're about the only ones that will stand up and say no and forgive you for being wrong and still keep standing. So the left's push to attack anything religious is exactly the first thing that they have to do. If you look at any at any communist regime's plan for uh, for subversion or destruction of a society, it is always the religion religion that they go after first. Not that long ago, actually, last Christmas, I did an episode about um, what the communists first did to Christmas. 
They took all of the Christmas carols and they rewrote them to be carols about the state. Now, of course, people didn't really go along with that too well because everybody likes likes Christmas, even in Russia. But what I'm saying here is that socialist and communist regimes always have to attack religion first. And we're seeing that across the country. Let's take a quick break, and then I'll get to our next story. Right on, right on. You can find... Everything Cowboy State Politics at the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden and you have no idea what kind of pudding you had for breakfast, well, I'm not sure I can help you with that one, but I can pretty much guarantee you you can find all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't be president. So go to CowboyStatePolitics.com. Pull up an article and educate yourself, just like you should have been doing before you signed that paper to run for election. Don't forget about the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. Like it, share it, follow it, tell everybody you know about it. Of course, I'll post all of the episodes there, but also anything I find during the course of the week that I think you might be interested in. And if you'd like to interact with me on any other social media app, I'm on Twitter. The handle is at David Dom Iverson. You can also find me on Truth Social or Getter or Gab or MeWe, and I'll probably sign up for whatever else comes next. If you've been thinking about advertising on the program, whether it be the live broadcast or on the main podcast, and you want to put your money where my mouth is, all you need to do is shoot me a message. The address is david at cowboystatepolitics.com. I'd love to get that conversation started with you. And now, let's get back to the program. And we're back. So recently, I had my own experience as to why renewable energy doesn't work. Well, it, it does kind of work on, on an individual basis, but for a while, we've been working on a project to convert our cabin to solar power. It just makes sense for us if we can provide, if we can generate some electricity and not have to run gas up and down the mountain all the time at five bucks a gallon, which by the way, <laughs> congratulations, it's going to go up. Well, anyhow, so we've been working on setting up this whole solar power outfit, and it works great when the batteries are charged. So we got the whole thing installed, and you know we were running the running the generator for part of it, and because we didn't exactly have the have everything hooked up yet. Well, we finally got everything installed and all the batteries hooked up and the inverter and everything, and it was the end of the day, and we decided we'd pack up and come back to town. We needed to get some more supplies, so. I left everything on. Of course, the solar panels were allegedly charging the batteries. Now, when we left, that was on a Sunday afternoon, and it was raining, and it was really kind of cold and nasty. Well, our plan had been to go back to the cabin on Monday and finish up our project. Now, uh, the, the cabin is approximately, you know, 30, 35 miles up the Bighorn Mountains. So, you know, it's an hour trip either way. So when we got back to town, we realized that there were some things we had to take care of on Monday. So we weren't able to go back up there and continue our project. So we decided we'd head up Tuesday morning. We get up to the cabin. Now, keep in mind, those solar panels had been installed and been charging, allegedly, for, an, for over 24 hours, an entire day. Well, when we got up there, the batteries were only 25% charged because it had been rainy and nasty for that entire day. There wasn't enough sunlight to charge the batteries. Now, that's okay on a personal, you know, on an individual basis, because if you're smart, you have a backup and we happen to have a generator. So no big deal. So my point here is that even on, even on a personal individual basis, when you install sol solar panels, they don't exactly work all of the time. You have to have sun to charge them. So all of this talk about moving to renewable energy is bullcrap. If it doesn't work on an individual personal basis at my cabin, how in the devil is it going to power anything? 
Well, the truth of the matter is when the sun is shining, it charges the batteries to 100% in one day. So it's going to work for us. And the good news is most of the time we won't have to run that ridiculously loud generator. Well, it's 32 days until the election, my friends, 32 days until hopefully the conservatives take over the Wyoming legislature or at least the House. However, we have a number of independent candidates that have decided to run against the Republican nominee. Now, the very the interesting thing about most of these folks is that they were Republicans. And after the election, well, then they decided that the person that won the election well, you know, they weren't qualified enough, so they themselves had to register as an independent and run against the Republican nominee. This is problematic for a number of reasons. First of all, it should make all of us question what exactly your principles are. If you're a Republican, you should agree with the voters on the Republican choice, on who the, who the uh, nominee is. But instead, there's a number of individuals that have so arrogant, arrogantly claimed that they know better than the voters are. Now, there's a couple of races in particular. The first one is in Converse County. Uh, Tommy Strock defeated Aaron Claussen, Redcoat Aaron Claussen, for the Republican nomination. And now the former Douglas mayor, Bruce Jones, who also happens to be a Republican precinct man, has decided to run against, against Tommy for the, uh, uh, in the general election. But this, kinda, this should make you question if these folks have any principles whatsoever. The second thing y you should ask all of these folks is who exactly will they caucus with should they win the election? Because obviously they don't agree with the Republicans or they would have just supported the Republican nominee. So who are they going to support? Will they caucus with the Democrats or will they ca caucus with the Republicans? Are they actually the conservatives that they claim to be? And the answer to that question, my friends, is a definite no. Now, by all accounts, Bruce Jones was a terrible mayor of Douglas. And frankly, nobody should vote for him uh, just based on that. But secondly, he he got elected as a Republican precinct man. So not only is he going against a party that he now holds that he now holds a seat for, now he's going to run against Tommy Strzok. Now, interestingly enough, this Saturday, there's a rally down in Douglas at the Douglas Inn. It starts at one o'clock. I've been told Harriet Hageman will be there, but your illustrious host will be there also. So if you've got nothing to do on Saturday, come down to Douglas and support Tommy. Another election in which there is another independent candidate is in Goshen County. Uh, Todd Peterson. Now, he's an interesting guy. Uh, he's well-liked in the community, and he's been a lifelong Republican, according to Freedom of Information Act's request that I submitted to all of these counties. He's been a lifelong Republican. So again, you should ask the same questions of this Todd Peterson fellow. Now, the reason that he's running is he's best buddies with Redcoat Shelley Duncan. Yeah, that's the person that Scott Smith defeated in the Republican primary. And there's an article, and I'll have to find it for you. I, actually, I think it's a letter that Todd Peterson put out as to why he was running for that seat. Uh, but he said, you know, he didn't want to run against his good buddy, Shel Redcoat Shelley Duncan. But when she got defeated, he just had to jump in. And the time was right. And people were telling him, blah, 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 blah. Well, the truth is that Scott Smith is a genuine conservative. The fact that Shelley Duncan is running her best buddy in an effort to defeat Scott Smith tells you that there is a desperate grasp or there's a desperate attempt to hold on to power in the Wyoming legislature. The Redcoats are doing everything that they possibly can to maintain power. I don't really think that it's going to be enough, but in any case, we still have some work to do in the election. Now, now the third one that's interesting is this guy named Dan Brecht. Now, Dan Brecht is, uh, from his website or his Facebook page, he straight up says that he's not a conservative in the sense that you and I would, uh, that you and I think we are. Well, he's running against Jeremy Haroldson. Jeremy Haroldson is an outspoken, solid conservative minister from, um, uh, in his community. He's a great guy. In fact, um, if you didn't, if you want to listen to an interview with him, I did one last week. But anyway, this Dan Brecht guy, and here's the funny story if you missed it on the podcast. I had sent him an invitation to come on the program and just talk to us. And initially, he said, yeah, absolutely, let's do that. 
And then he sent me an email saying that he's worried about being accused of flip-flopping. Now, I took kind of a personal, uh, I was a little bit insulted by this since I've never played anyone out of context. But what's interesting is he said he had to decline the interview because he didn't want to be accused of flip-flopping later. So in an effort to avoid flip-flopping, he flip-flopped before he could flip-flop. I mean, it's amazing. Some other elections that are extraordinarily important in every single county are the school board elections. In Converse County alone, there are 23 candidates for school board. In Hot Springs, there are 11 candidates. In Johnson County, I'm not exactly sure how many people are running, but it's a lot. But school board elections are happening in every county in Wyoming, and it's we have to be involved in those. We have to expose this leftist agenda that's been going on in Wyoming education for some time. Now, one of those agendas I brought up in an interview with Jackson resident Gloria Corser. Very nice lady. And what happened is she sent her daughter to uh, her first day of school. Uh, her daughter's a seventh grader and had, and had been homeschooled quite a bit. Um, and so the she decided that she wanted to go to public school. So on the first day of school, a teacher distributed questions. Here's a part of that interview, just to refresh your memory. I'm joined this morning by Gloria Corser. Gloria and her family live in Jackson, and they've recently sent their seventh grade daughter to public school. They'd previously had her homeschooled for most of the time. She was confronted when her child came home from the first day of school with some interesting questions that the, that a teacher had posed to her. So first, Gloria, welcome to Cowboy State Politics. Thank you, David. The way I always begin every interview is, why don't you go ahead and tell my listeners about yourself and uh, so we can get to know you a little bit. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Gloria Corser. I have uh, two daughters. One is 19, sophomore in college, and then the other is 12. And uh, as you said, uh, just re-entered the public school system here in Jackson at the middle school. She had been, um, she started in public school in kindergarten. We had a pretty great opportunity through a scholarship to switch her to a, a classical private school. So we took advantage of that for a few years. And then um, she asked me if I would homeschool her at one point in third grade. I think, oh, because we did switch back to the public school for like three months. And she came home at that time, you know, as a third grader and just said, you know, mom, it just doesn't feel very challenging. It's so much different than, you know, the classical school she was at. Um, and just really kind of disruptive behavior in the classroom that was just kind of being let go of by the teacher. And anyway, she came home and asked if I'd homeschool her. And I just kind of at first looked at her like, are you nuts? You know, <laughs> and because uh, never considered I would do anything like that. But then I had to ask myself, like, you know, what reason do you have to say no? You work from home. You have time for this. Um, and with the internet and, you know, there, the, the options are out there. So yeah, we did homeschool for a couple of years. Um, and then the last two years she did an online, uh, classical education program that was very rigorous. So she was zooming way before COVID. So we were, we were pretty ready for all of that. Um, yeah. So then back in public school this year. Okay. So first day of school, obviously pretty exciting. So your daughter came home and why don't you fill us in on what happened? Yeah. So excited is like probably not even the, it's, it's, it needs to be even more hyperbolic. She just was thrilled to go back to school and just be with peers and everything. Um, I think she had her first outfit picked out like weeks before and had written herself a, a schedule of when to brush her teeth and when to leave for the bus. So anyway, very excited. She came home, we were having dinner and she was telling us about like, kind of like every step of the day. And she was, she got to describing her math class and said how they were given a, an index card with their, their photo, I guess a photo of them on it, which I'm not really sure how they got that. So I, I don't know if I mis misunderstood that, but, um, and then their name. Um, and then when the teacher told them to flip the card over to provide details about themselves, like kind of getting to know you questions. Right. Uh, first one was what their preferred um, pronouns were. And she was, you know, not completely oblivious. I mean, it's hard not to be aware that this is kind of in the, in the culture, but she definitely had never been asked before and was confused by it. Okay, so you get it. 
So I assumed at that point that that was just an isolated incident in Teton County. Let's be honest, they're pretty liberal down there. And that really isn't out of the question for teachers to behave in that fashion. They absolutely should not. But I thought, well, maybe it's just an isolated incident. Now, the day I published that interview, I heard from nearly every single county in the state, um, except for just a few of them, that this same that parents across the state had this same experience. Their kids go to school on the first day. A teacher asks them what their preferred pronouns were. In Sheridan County, uh, it was a literature class. In that case, in Teton County, it was a math class. Now, one interesting um, interesting thing that happens is over in Weston County, Newcastle, um, same situation. You know, kid, and this one happened in a math class too. Um, kid calls her parents in the middle of the school day and says, hey, I just got asked what my uh, preferred pronouns were. Well, her mom contacted a bunch of parents, and by 5 o'clock, they had the school administration building filled with parents. And by 6 o'clock, that teacher had resigned. So this is happening in just about every county in the state. Now, uh, anonymous sources have told Cowboy State Politics that there was a, a teacher's meeting in Johnson County, and they were told not to use any pronouns. So it's clear that school systems are aware that this is happening. Now, whether or not they're pushing it, yeah, that's another question. However, it is, it is obvious that the teachers are pushing it. From The Blaze, an article published uh, on September 30th of 2022, House, every House Democrat just voted against parental rights legislation. Now, by the way, um, you have a, a Pupils Protection of Rights Act in um, that's in effect in this country. That is, every student in public schools has a set of rights and the school has to respect those. And in a lot of these cases, that's not being enforced. In fact, the first line of it, and you should have got a notice from from the school system that just, it was a handout that was given to students, hey, take this home to your parents. And the first line of it says that with uh, that students cannot be subjected to surveys about po political persuasions, um, religion, um, and sexual identity. So at the very outset, this policy was violated in every school district. Well, this, uh, this bill that was in the U.S. House was to, uh, to support parental rights. And I quote, House Democrats on Thursday unanimously voted to block legislation that would have required informed parental consent before a school provides mental health services related to sexual orientation or gender identity to students. In a 220 to 208 vote, the House rejected an attempt by Republicans to amend the bill that seeks to bolster, bolster mental health care for students, educators and school staff negatively affected by COVID, blah, 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 blah. The amendment required recipients of mental health grants to provide parents with written notice of mental health or emotional services provided to their children, including those related to the child's or children's sexual orientation or gender identity. And like I said, that amendment was defeated. It still boggles my mind that that actually happened, but, um, but that's definitely the case. From the Cowboy State Daily on October 5th, uh, that would have been yesterday, well, I guess I should back up. Uh, you should be aware of the controversy surrounding all of these library books that's happening uh, across the state. Um, there's specifically at Kelly Walsh High School in Casper. There's a couple of books that uh, that have been challenged. In fact, there's more than two books that have been challenged. But these two have garnered more attention um, than any other. But according to the to the cow pie, quote, Graphic scenes in children's books makes minors more vulnerable to sex crimes, according to a longtime investigator who now runs a nonprofit organization aimed at preventing and combating child sexual abuse. Thomas Hampson of Illinois has voiced concerns to the Cowboy State Daily regarding two books that survived challenges September 1st and remain in the Kelly Walsh High School Library. The books are Gender Queer by Maya Kubabi and Trans Bodies, Trans Selves by Laura Erickson Scroth with other contributors. Cowboy State Daily reviewed and roughly summarized both those books on Thursday. And I highly recommend that you go check out that article. Though I hate to admit it, the cow pie has been doing some excellent work on this subject. Hampson called these books pornographic. They are. That uh, 
the gender queer book is a graphic novel and there are some very graphic scenes in it. But anyway, Hampson calls them pornographic. These books destroy childhood innocence, said Hampson. Uh, parents, churches and government should be should be in the business of protecting childhood innocence and not rest- rest- destroying it. When children are exposed to sexual activity, it piques their curiosity, reduces their inhibitions and makes them more vulnerable to be exploited by more aggressive peers and also slick predators who are older than them. So, I mean, these the the situation in Wyoming schools is not constrained to gender por- pronouns or to books. And I'll tell you what's happening next. We'll get back to the program in just a second. But first, a completely obscene profit timeout. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the leaves are changing. Aren't they pretty? They go from green to yellow to orange to red and then they fall off the trees. And you know what that means? That white crap is about to show up. And all of your stuff that you've been playing around with all summer long is out in the pasture, and it's about to be buried in a huge snowbank. Do you know why that is? You didn't call Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings like you should have, and like I told you to. But don't worry, my friends, it's not too late. Whatever type of building you have in mind, be it a backyard shed or a barn or a roping arena, or if you need a giant warehouse for your business, Nick and Jesse are the two guys to call. Their phone number is 307-674-2532. They're the experts in metal building construction. They've been doing it longer than anybody else around, and they definitely do it better than anybody else around. So give Nick and Jesse a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. You can listen to the podcast from any of your favorite podcasting apps, iHeartRadio, iTunes, TuneIn, really any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. New episodes are posted every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the live program that you're listening to right now. It's broadcast every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. And now, back to the program. Welcome back from the Washington Examiner. In an article entitled, Even in Wild Wyoming, Parent Group Rips School District for Secret Secret Gender Transitions, written by Jeremiah Poff on October 3rd. And I quote, a parent activist organization blasted officials in in a rural Wyoming school district of Sweetwater County after the school board defended its policy of hiding student gender transitions from parents and claimed that misgendering someone is sexual harassment. At the school board meeting last month for Sweetwater County School District Number 1, officials claimed it is, quote, well settled that misgendering a student or school employee constitutes sexual harassment. The district's officials openly argued with several community speakers over the district's policy of not informing a student's parent if the student informs school officials that they are transgender and seeks to be addressed by a name or pronoun that does not correspond to their biological sex. You know, the fascinating thing about this whole deal is they could go right down the hallway to the biology lab and they could probably pull any book off the shelf and disprove all of this. And yet school districts are insisting that we we subject our students to this. In a statement to the Washington Examiner, Marilyn Sabraria, the director of the community engagement for the parent activist group's Parents Defending Education, said the statements from f- officials in the rural southwest Wyoming school district showed the war against our constitutional rights and our parental rights is out in the open, even in wild Wyoming. Now, of course, we all know that this is happening. But what's interesting is that it's finally getting some, you know, some attention nationally, as it should. I mean, this whole thing is a plague that's and maybe no plague is not too strong of a word, but it's a plague that's going across um, going across the country. And what I keep going back to, my friends, 
is your your kids are not confused. They're impressionable. And subjecting subjecting them to all of this gender identity and and sexual education when they're very, very young is child abuse, period. Like the article from The Cow Pie said, that it's taking away children's innocence, that it piques their interest in in piques their interest in sexuality and makes them more apt to uh, to engage in sexual behavior. So the big question is, where is all of this coming from? There are two possibilities. First of all, most Wyoming schools get their teachers from the University of Wyoming. If you make a list of all the liberal schools in the United States, the University of Wyoming is near the top of the list. There's a great movie called No Safe Spaces. It's a Dennis Prager movie. Um, I, I really suggest that you go watch it. But the opening scene is at the University of Wyoming. And unfortunately, uh, it won't make you very happy about what our what our university is doing. So the liberal rot is most definitely entrenched itself at our university. So another place that this is coming from is the Wyoming Education Association, the teachers union. Now, back in March, I exposed that the teachers union has an activist organization and they're actively training teachers to be activists. Here's a piece from that episode. The truth is that most people don't have any idea what their sexual identity is before the age of puberty. And to claim that they do is, again, denying biology. You see, your kids are not confused. They're impressionable. And teaching them about gender identity and sexuality when they're in kindergarten is child abuse. All of that being said, I'm sure none of this has crept its way into Wyoming. Except, of course, what's on the Wyoming Education Association's website. They have this thing called the Wyoming Education Association's Safe and Just Schools Cadre. Interesting thing about their logo, in the word safe, it includes the socialist fist in the letter A. I wonder why. Well, I mean, it comes from the Wyoming Education Association, so we have to assume that they completely understand the history of the socialist fist. You know, maybe this whole cadre thing isn't about schools. It's about activism. The definition of the word cadre is kind of interesting, too, and I'm sure this was just an oversight on their part, but it is, and I quote, a framework, a nucleus around which an expanded organization as a military unit can be built. A military unit, a. Eh? In any case, the WEA explains that this cadre, this military unit, is, and I quote, practical trainings for education employees to create welcoming learning environments for all students. Ah, the safe and just schools cadre. Seems to me that children are neither safe nor being treated justly in Wyoming schools. So I broke that story back in, I believe it was July. Now I'll go ahead, I'll post a link to it at the website and at Cowboy State at the Cowboy State Politics website. But what's interesting is what's written below that logo on the WEA website. And probably I'll save the whole site so we, we make sure that they don't delete it. They haven't yet, so obviously they're proud of it. But if you go to that website and right underneath the logo, it says practical teach practical trainings for education employees to create welcoming learning environments for all students. The currently available trainings include implicit bias. Now, this one's interesting. This is the one where if you're white, you're automatically racist. Or if you're a man, you're automatically sexist. But here's what it says, quote, Effective education leaders should understand their emotions, thoughts, and values, and how they influence their behavior across contexts. In other words, leaders must be self-aware. Leaders can develop their social and emotional intelligence by identifying their personal biases. Using this awareness, leaders can then explore how their biases formed and in what ways their biases limit leaders' growth and impact. This session will offer participants multiple resources to guide them through the process of self-discovery and reflection. Oh, heart. They're so caring. Another one is ending, or excuse me, is Wyoming's social and racial justice timeline. Quote, War, internment, segregation, and oppression characterize a dark side of Wyoming's history. Together, we'll explore historical events and tragedies in our state's history that have contributed to shaping today's society. 
We'll put a spotlight on the uncomfortable realities of Wyoming's past to ensure that the lessons there to be learned shape a brighter future for our students. Yeah. Now, if you go to any museum in the state of Wyoming, and I do because I'm uh, interested in history, having a degree and all, well, they, ha they all have several things in common, but one of them is in every museum in the state of Wyoming, you can find pictures of black cowboys working on white ranches, white cowboys working on black ranches, Hispanic cowboys, caballeros, working on both ranches. You see, after the Civil War, a lot of freed slaves moved west, and some of them settled in Wyoming. You see, at the time, Wyoming citizens, or what who would become Wyoming citizens, didn't really care about race. In fact, they just cared that you are who you say you are and that you're going to take care of what you said you're going to take care of. But if you go to any museum in the state, you'll find that. Now, the in one last interesting piece, well, maybe not one last piece. Let's talk about their training for the LGBTQ plus legal rights in education. Creating safe and just schools requires educators to understand LGBTQ plus issues in education. This session will help participants learn the advocacy skills needed to support all students within the school environment. This session introduces participants to LGBTQ plus specific vocabulary, as well as personal stories of coming out in Wyoming. And then the last one, drum roll, please. I don't have a drum roll ready, but here it is. Social justice umbrella. Listen very closely, my friends. Quote, in this training, we will explore what defines social justice and what fits under that umbrella. What social justice issues are impacting our students' learning? During this session, we will explore together ways each of us can activate change. Did you catch that word? Activate. So what the Wyoming Education Association is doing is training activists. That is, teachers that will actively try to change your children's perceptions of the world of what the world is they will actively try they will actively try to exclude parents parents from their their children's learning so all of this is extraordinarily concerning and like i said i'll post a link to this absurdity on cowboystatepolitics.com and at the at the uh, um, at the cowboy state politics facebook page Comment from uh, a listener in Sheridan, FYI, Sheridan County School District number two is spending the first 15 minutes every morning called Bronc Base Camp and several minutes per period daily spending time on social and emotional learning. And they're proud of it. It's BS, Harry. This social and emotional learning is an umbrella that it's an umbrella term that they that they use to cover um, this. Um, critical sexual um, education, critical race theory, and all of it. I'll do a study on it, and we'll go into why exactly they choose this social and emotional learning. Before we get to the last segment of the program, a word from our newest sponsor. This segment of the program is brought to you by our newest sponsor, New Trend Hats. The worst possible thing that could happen this winter, well, there's a lot of things that could happen that would be bad, but one of them is if you, the top of your head or your ears get cold because you don't have anything on them. Take it from me, my friends, I'm somewhat of a hat connoisseur. That if you need a hat for winter, you should really go to NewTrendHats.com. They have a wide selection of hats for both men and women. It's a Wyoming company based out of Kemmerer. So go to their website, NewTrendHats.com, or give Laura a call. Her phone number is 307-350-5640. Call her now. And now, back to the most scintillating conversation that you're going to hear all day long. For a couple of episodes, I've been examining some executive or orders by the Biden administration, and there's a new one. I know. Aren't you excited? From an article in from an article in March 2020 from Time Magazine, 
entitled How Joe Biden is Positioning Himself as the Modern FDR. Quote, Biden gave a speech at Warm Springs, Georgia. The venue was laden with significance, not only because Biden himself Biden is making a late push for victory in Georgia, but also because Warm Springs is where Roosevelt, that is FDR, went to convalesce from the paralysis that followed a polio diagnosis in his 30s. Roosevelt had a little White House there, (laughs) and a place became both a second home to him and a symbol for his fortitude and in the face of his illness. Biden said, this place, Warm Springs, is a reminder that though broken, each of us can be healed, that as a, as a people and a country, we can overcome it, this devastating virus and that we can heal a suffering world. Ah, yes, we can restore our soul and save our country. In the closing weeks of the race, Biden talked continually of unity and healing. Now, I think that we all know that Biden is not about unity and healing. Uh, in, Check out this for a minute. Migrant Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Not every Republican, not even the majority of Republicans are MAGA Republicans. Not every Republican embraces their extreme ideology. The Republican Party today is dominated, driven, and intimidated by Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans. And that is a threat to this country. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. Okay, 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 okay. I can't take any more of that. Well, we all understand how uniting and uh, caring our dear leader is. From the Washington Post on August 22nd, an article entitled, Biden's No FDR, He's Not Even Obama. And I quote, Once he became president, Biden held a meeting with historians that led to speculation that he could be another FDR. Times columnist Ezra Klein explained that Democrats had wised up about how impossible it was to negotiate with Republicans. Among the items on the progressive to-do list were an expansion of the Supreme Court statehood for other places expected to vote for Democrats, a higher minimum wage, higher income tax uh, uh, rates on higher earners, a federal overhaul of election law, amnesty for illegal immigrants, a ban on assault weapons, federal Medicaid funding for abortion, and none of it has happened. But it's very clear that as loony as Joe Biden is, he does fancy himself a bit like FDR. Now, he certainly spends as much as FDR did, perhaps even more. But one interesting thing happened yesterday. He proposed a Bill of Rights. And I'm sure that you're not going to see any of this in the lamestream media. But on WhiteHouse.gov, the article is entitled Blueprint for AI, an AI Bill of Rights, a vision for protecting our civil rights in the algorithmic age. Now, a new Bill of Rights, where have I heard that before? Hmm, it couldn't be FDR, could it? In our day, certain economic proofs have become accepted as self-evident. A second Bill of Rights, under which a new basis of security and prosperity can be established for all, regardless of station or race or creed. Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job, the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. Hold on a minute. So what he's talking about is this um, mandatory minimum wage that the Democrats are are all talking about it. You've also heard them discuss it as a universal basic income, and that is that the government should provide a check for everyone uh, just by virtue of being alive. Let's continue. Of every farmer raise and sell his products at a return which will give him and his family a decent living. That's price fixing. That's something that all progressives have tried to do. Woodrow Wilson started it with the, uh, I believe it was called the National Recovery Act, the NRA, not the NRA that we know of, but it's price fixing. So FDR tried it. Woodrow Wilson tried it, and you've heard Democrats try it again. Just yesterday, the United Nations started dictating to the Federal Reserve that we should stop our increases in interest rates in our attempt to control inflation, and instead, we should just focus on price fixing, since that worked out so well before. 
the right of every businessman, large and small, to trade in an atmosphere of freedom, freedom from unfair competition and domination by monopolies at home or abroad. Whoa, freedom from competition. That sounds awfully capitalist of him, doesn't it? See, socialists and communists do not like capitalism because your your individual liberty is inextricably tied to your financial liberty. That if if the that your finances can be controlled, they can control anything about you. If they can stop you from spending money, say, on a gun, they can stop you from spending money on all sorts of things. They can control every part of your life. The right of every family to a decent home. The right to adequate medical care. Obamacare. The opportunity to achieve and enjoy good health. The right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age. Yeah, we can't be, can't be old, no. And unemployment. Yeah. The right to a good education. Okay, okay, that's enough. But you see, progressives always, always try to invent new rights. Now, it's ridiculous, and we know it's ridiculous, because rights are not created by government. Rights are created by God. If government creates rights, then, well, the government can take them away. But this hasn't stopped Joe Biden. Now, I'm not exactly sure why he chose um, the the AI Bill of Rights, but he has. From WhiteHouse.gov, this Bill of Rights will include, quote, safe and effective systems. You should be protected from unsafe or ineffective systems. I wonder what that means. Now, the reason why progressives always use vague terms is so that they can they can change them into whatever they want, whatever suits their agenda. The next one on Biden's list is algorithmic discrimination protections. You should not face discrimination by algorithms and systems should be used and designed in an equitable way. It doesn't say equal way. It says equitable way. Equity is a financial term. That's why they use it all of the time. And I'm sure that if you're a conservative, it will definitely be uh, designed in your best interest. The third one on Biden's list, data privacy. You should be protected from abusive data practices via built-in protections, and you should have agency over how data about you is used. Notice an explanation. You should know when an automated system is being used and understand how and why it contributes to outcomes that impact you. Human alternatives, consideration, and fallback. Uh, you should be able to opt out where appropriate and have access to a person who can quickly consider and remedy your pro the problems that you encounter. Quote from their article, more than a set of principles, this is a blueprint to empower people, companies, and policymakers across the United States and meet President Biden's call to hold big, hold big technology accountable, protect the civil rights of Americans, and ensure technology is working for the people. Well, first of all, the Biden administration doesn't protect conservatives. They don't have any intention of doing that. This whole thing, this whole vague list is just one more thing that they're going to use to um, to advance their political agenda and to marginalize conservative Republicans in the state. Now, I think that we can we can say that even as ridiculous as FDR's Bill of Rights was, it's not nearly as ridiculous as Biden's. Or <laughs> excuse me, it's. Uh, it's not nearly as ridiculous as Biden's. I mean, FDR's Bill of Rights actually made a little bit of sense, but uh, not this one. Now, last thing on this is that we should never look to government to uh, to be the, the, the creator of rights because government can't create rights. They can only take them away. So we should all pay close attention to exactly what um, what the Biden administration is doing. Last thing, I think we should end on a humorous note today. Now, you know how much of a fan I am of making fun of our, uh, of our great vice president. Check this one out. This is something I recorded this morning. My fellow Americans, words have many meanings, and sometimes instead of conveying our meaning, they can suggest other meanings. When we talk about the children of the community, they are the children of the community. Well, we are the United States of America because we are united. 
and we are states. I'm talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Whatever we have in store cannot be known. The past was once the future. The future is, I should say, unknown. We gotta take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are, because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. Obesity is a serious disease, and it needs to be taken seriously. You need to get to go, and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. I hope that clarifies the issue, and this can be the last word on those words. Certain issues are just settled. Clearly we're not. No, that's right, and that's why I do believe that we are living sadly, in um, real unsettled times. Oh, man, my friends, she is a moron. A couple of program notes before I let you go for today. Two episodes that I've been working on, uh, one of which is all of these letters that those idiotic attorneys have been sending to Harriet Hegeman. I've got a big episode coming probably next week about them. You're, you are going to love what I found out about them. Um, secondly, I've got yet another follow-up investigation on school boards um, in the state of Wyoming. Um, hopefully that'll come probably after, well, I don't know, probably next Wednesday or on Weekend Update. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast every well, whenever you want from CowboyStatePolitics.com or any of your favorite uh, podcasting apps. And again, tell everybody you know about the live episode that happens every, Tuesday, every Thursday at 10 a.m. Have a good rest of your week, and we'll talk again on Saturday. From the base of the Bighorns in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm David Iverson, and this is Cowboy State Politics. <laughs> <laughs>